reluctantly crouched at the starting line. Engines pumping and thumping in time. The green light flashes, the flags go up. Churning and burning, they yearn for the cup. They deftly maneuver and muscle for rank. Fuel burning fast on an empty tank. Reckless and wild, they pour through the turns. Their prowess is potent and secretly stern. Welcome to this emergency edition of Stats on Deck. We're going to talk Mike Trout and a lot of other things. I'm Nick Laporte, and I'm joined by Jake Adams. Jake, how are you doing? What's up, buddy? we got big, big news to talk about today. We're going to talk about Mike Trout's record-setting deal extending for the rest of his career, likely with the Angels. Then we'll talk some Alex Bregman extension news, what it means for Mookie Betts, and we'll also talk about a couple of remaining free agents, Dallas Keuchel and Craig Kimbrell, which in our opinion are the two best free agents left on the market. First question, maybe most important question, what are your thoughts on the 12-year $430 million extension between Mike Trout and the LA Angels? Well, I woke up with about a thousand you know, alerts on my phone and a text from you, and I opened up the text, and I saw the figures of the deal, and I legitimately thought I was still dreaming. It, it's, it's a staggering number. This is the biggest extension by far. It blows Bryce Harper's deal out of the water. Um, it's, it's almost unbelievable. When you have other professional athletes that make millions and millions and millions of dollars – tweeting out how blown away that they are at this contract, you know, you've done something right. 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 I, I was at $430 million. Doesn't seem like tangible. Like I didn't even freak out when I read it. I was just kind of, well, cause first I'm like, Oh, it's Mike Trout. Like, you know, he deserves a billion dollars. But then my second thought was like, I was numb. Cause like that amount of money doesn't seem real for a person that really does any job. Right. I believe I read on Twitter for every plate appearance, he'll make roughly $60,000, which is the median income of an average American, if I read that correctly. Uh, so uh, if you have children, make them play baseball. Oh, we, we talked about this a little bit earlier. I, I'm going to set up like all of the TV channels and all of the outlets that my child has in their life to make them believe that only one sport exists and it's baseball. Like basketball's gone. Football was never in question. Lacrosse doesn't exist. Hockey, any other sport you want to talk about does not exist. They're going to have a bat in their hands in the crib. Right. And worst case scenario, if your kid plays baseball, he just gets the six year, a hundred million dollar deal. Like, like that's the drop in the bucket. Like if you're, if you just make it, that's how much money you'll make. You just need one good year. We're talking about Alex Bregman. We'll talk about him a little bit later. Um, so uh, we mentioned Bryce Harper. Um, quickly wanted to talk about about a week ago, Bryce started his campaign to get Mike Trout to join him in Philadelphia <laughs> two years from now. Uh, I wanted to say, does Mike Trout hate Bryce Harper that much? <laughs> to, to not only to not only spite him and ran on his parade of him signing the longest contract in sports, but but also just personally, I think I 
I think Bryce is not very good at fishing. I think is the is the is the point <laughs> yeah, in all this. I think Bryce should stick to to his own teammates from now on because that was a disaster for him. Um, to to, <laughs> go to ahead. put yourself out in like a public way to say like this is the guy that I'm hunting. Which by the way, you don't even have to say out loud because right. all of the other teams are also like doing everything in their power for him to potentially jockeying for him to potentially come to their team. But to publicly put yourself out there, this is just kind of what you get. Yeah, you get what's coming to you, Bryce. And um, but yeah, this this deal is just is just crazy. And the thing that's kind of laughable about it is like all we could talk about all off season was where Bryce and Manny were going to sign in for how much money. Right. And it comes out like a week after both of them signed these groundbreaking, like record breaking deals. Might just trout. Mike Trout just looks from his house and he's like, that's cute. Right. Yeah. Well, we always knew Mike Trout was going to cash in when he got his next deal. We just didn't think it would be with two years left on his uh, previous extension. Um, A couple more notes about the, the extension. There are no opt outs. So what that means is for the next 12 years, Mike Trout, plays for the LA angels. There is no chance to leave them on his terms pretty much. So by the end of that deal, he'll be nearing 39 years old. And right. he's, and the idea is that he'll never play for another team. So what I'm, I'm basically seeing, right. Is that if these owners are going to give out these insane deals for this time of length, they're basically saying you're going to sell your soul to us. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a trade off. Obviously, the Angels want to keep Trout at all costs, at $430 sure. million costs. Um, and for Trout, uh, this, you know, this not only sets him up financially now for the rest of his life, for the rest of his kids' lives, and so on. Uh, so there, there's obviously a benefit to signing the extension now because uh, if Mike Trout never picked up a bat again, he would still get paid the whole amount. So the, there's always incentive to do that. It kind of it contrasts it shows where we are in baseball compared to basketball because you look at Mike Trout the best player in baseball signing the long long term extension and you compare that to guys like Kevin Durant LeBron James uh signing the one year deals for much of the last few years mm-hmm. uh it seems that baseball players value the long term security more than the best NBA players do yeah, I agree with that. I, like you said, it's it's a longer contract, and in baseball, it's guaranteed money. I just can't think of, like – and this kind of goes playing off of the other major sports. It's like, what benefits are there to you individually and as a person to playing football? Because if you're a, if you're an incredibly gifted athlete, right, you can more than likely play more than one sport. And in football, where it causes the most damage to your body, both in the short term and the long term, it also has the least amount of guaranteed money of any of the four major sports. And, right. and I have to think, I mean, this, this contract and this deal further reinforces the idea where it's like, if, if your kid has, and you notice that he's, you know, got, you know, hit the genetic lottery and he's six, eight, or, you know, he's faster than everybody else, or he's got insane hand-eye coordination he throws the ball hard like how do you not push him away from from football into these other sports that are potentially not only more lucrative for them but also better for their body long term 
Right. I, I would have to say that's a good point. Um, we've seen with this rush of deals this last month or so in baseball, the money is there for the best players. And um, even if you're, even if you're just, you know, you're run of the mill major leaguer, you're going to make some money. You're likely not going to cause your body much long-term damage. And um, in my personal opinion, baseball is a more fun sport. I suppose uh, the only reason at this point you would play football over baseball is if it's truly your passion and it's your favorite game to play. Otherwise, I think you got to go try to get into the MLB. And this kind of clearly kind of leads into like the Kyler Murray discussion. You know, it was like, sure, sure. You want to like, you're talking about potentially being the number one pick in football or being, or, you know, being a, a high draft pick in baseball. Now I know that for a lot of the, the decision for Kyler probably led into the immediate, like, you know, success of his career. Cause in football, obviously he's going to be a starting quarterback somewhere most likely. And he's right. going to have it immediate, immediately be thrusted in the professional environment, which is baseball. He'll probably develop a little bit and then hopefully pan out to be a major league baseball player and a good one at that. But I have to think to myself, it's like, it, it kind of seems impatient upon Kyler and the people that were kind of, you know, on his side talking to him it is like, Oh yeah. It, I this, agree. That's how it I looks. Um, in football, like you mentioned, he'll have a chance to become a starting quarterback right away, uh, make a decent amount of money in the first part of his career, whereas in baseball for those first few years, he'd probably be stuck in the minors with um, not much money at all. However, we see it with Mike Trout's deal right here. If you stick with it and you get good enough at it, you can make a lot of money. Right. And and then also to, to think about your professional baseball career is just playing the averages is going to more than likely double playing professional baseball than playing football. I mean, I know he's playing the quarterback position and it's harder to have serious injuries at the quarterback position. But I mean, you are way more likely to get hurt and have potentially a career ending injury in football than you are in baseball in those few years that you're that you're building up and getting better in the minor leagues and then working your way into a a roster spot at the professional level in baseball those are years that you're going to have in longevity compared to the NFL when you're ending your NFL career you know five six seven years shorter when you would be playing baseball right that's a good point I just wanted to also bring up sort of to reiterate what you're talking about so if we look at um, some of the NFL players that have made the most money over the courses of their careers, mm-hmm. um, the number one, is, well, the number one and number two are the Manning brothers, uh, according to businessinsider.com. So Peyton Manning in his career made just under $250 million. It's a lot of money and he's invested mm-hmm. it well and everything. He, he's not going to be wanting for money ever. Um, but that was over the course of his career, nearly 20 years. Mike Trout's uh, going to make that in the first six or seven years of this deal. He's going to blow that number out of the water. So uh, it's a little bit comparing apples to oranges. But when you look at the earnings, um, you're definitely going to want to go with baseball. Just yeah, to reiterate it- that. And nobody's saying that Kyler Murray, I mean, is going to be Mike Trout. But the idea that, you know, if he plays to his potential and he's even at the lowest, you know, like 
making a couple all-star teams. I mean, that's worth hundred. That's worth uh, you know a hundred million dollar contract easy. Right. Yeah. I, I personally and that's all think guaranteed. he made. I think he made the wrong choice. Uh, there are questions about him besides uh, besides the usual ones. Like there are height concerns. There are concerns about um, how he fits into an NFL offense. So we won't sure. get it. We we don't have to get into any of that. But it's like it just seems like for Kyler Murray, the smarter bet was probably to go baseball. But if, if football's really his passion and that's what he wants to do, I don't blame him. Yeah. I mean, he made the choice he made. I, get, I mean, there's not, there's not going to be a Deion Sanders or Bo Jackson situation where he's flip-flopping between both of them. But I right. get – I mean, there is always the chance because I know the ace said that if he ended up wanting to choose baseball, that contract could still be in place. So – he could always make the the switch and transition if he wanted to, but for right now, I mean, he's kind of made his bed. That, right, and now he's going to have to lie in it. So <laughs> uh, we'll get back to um, Mike Trout. Just a couple couple of statistics about Trout here. This is from Jeff Passan from ESPN.com. Trout's played just over a hundred, or excuse me, just over a thousand games. He's hit three hundred seven, two hundred forty home runs. He's driven in just all, just under 650 runs. He scored almost 800 runs. He's stolen almost 200 bases. And his wins above replacement to, in his career, 64.9, according to fan graphs. No player has even come close to that in the Mike, early stretch of their career. Mike Trout has played really seven full seasons of baseball. Right. Pushing, pushing on eight. I mean, and he's – already at 64.9 wins above replacement for his career. Right. And even if he never got further than that, it would still be, uh, well, I don't want to say that, but it, it, even if he tails off dramatically over the next few years, he's pretty much a hall, a guaranteed hall of famer. The, the idea that he has been hovering around, you know, around that nine win mark to eight win 10. I mean, it, the lowest season that he's ever had in terms of wins above replacement was 2017 when he was at 6.9 wins above replacement, which in a lot of years is a top three MVP candidate. Right. And he only played 114 games because of injury. Right. Uh, I it, mean, that's, it's unbelievable. I want to correct what I said before. It's actually 64.3. I know that that uh, half a win counts a lot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so uh, this is something we did um, a few months ago. We were looking at uh, Mike Trout, and um, we, we don't have to get into any of the specifics, but um, if Mike Trout kept up on this pace or close to this pace for the rest of his career, he would – be the highest wins above replacement in baseball history, which I think is when we look at the $430 million deal, yes, it seems like a lot, but uh, there's a conceivable chance that we're talking about the best player in baseball history. I mean, and, and just to kind of go off what you just said on that list of, you know, the highest wins above replacement of all time. Yes. Babe Ruth is on that list. Yes, Barry Buttons is on that list. Willie Mays, Ty Cobb, Hank Aaron, Honus Wagner, whoever you want, Ted Williams, whoever you want to throw on that list. If Mike Trout kept on this pace 
for a reason for the reasonable amount of time that he's going to play baseball, he would go down as the leader. Right, and, and that's and, insane. There are always going to be people who don't believe Mike Trout is uh, one of those, you know, in the same echelon as those guys. Uh, obviously, um, to this point in seven years, no playoff success, which we can't pin on him. But the Angels may have made the playoffs once. They were actually they were the the number one overall team in baseball that year with 98 wins in 2014. They got swept by the Royals in round one. Trout has one career playoff hit so far. It's a solo home run. That that's a problem, and that, that is and a that, big problem. And and that's bad for the Angels. That's bad for Mike Trout. That's bad for baseball. I. I have a lot of different feelings. I'm very excited for Mike Trout personally, and I think that he deserves this money. And I, I think as we we're going to talk about, I think he was actually he, he wasn't exactly paid the actual value of what he is, which I know is crazy to say out loud. But I mean, the thing the thing that that's so staggering to me about some of these statistics is if his career stopped after last year, he would be he would finish right now as 89th on the all time list. It's and, unbe- that's unbelievable. Nick, he's not 30 yet. <laughs> In seven years, he's had a better career than how many thousands of players? I mean, you're talking about better than Jim Edmonds, Yogi Berra, Mike Piazza. I mean, Chase – I mean, all of these guys, Chase Utley, Ernie Banks. I mean, this is it, – it, it's – you're talking and, – and the greatest part about this is that we get to – we actually have – the technology to be able to watch him play every day. Oh, that, and, that is a good point. Um, whereas in the past, it was more baseball. It was more of a sort of a local idea. Obviously it still is to an extent now, but uh, there's nothing stopping you from watching Mike Trout every day. No, you, you can literally turn on, a, you can turn on your MLB subscription or your TV on ESPN, and you get to you get to have the pleasure of watching, quite possibly one of the greatest baseball players of all time play baseball. And that was and you didn't have that luxury for the majority of players that I mentioned because either they played so long ago, or you know, as cable came along, you know, you were only able to watch local teams. Right. So it's it's truly amazing what we're watching, and I think I, I don't know. I, $430 million is an outrageous amount of money, but, you know, as we're going to talk about, I mean, that number almost doesn't seem enough for what he is. Right. And so uh, building off of that point, before we talk about the angels as a team, mm-hmm. is this a good deal for the angels? Did they make the right choice? I think, I think they did. And I think, I think that he would not have gotten maybe he probably would have gotten close. I think it would have been around four hundred million dollars, but I don't think he would have gotten nearly this high of offer on the open market. And I think Mike Trout knew that, and I think the Angels were in a desperate position to make sure that they held on to him. I definitely agree with you that the the pressure was on the Angels because if they failed to make the playoffs this year, like we think then you're talking about Mike Trout in a contract year as the best player in baseball, potentially leaving them. I will disagree. However, I think he definitely could have reached this number on the open market. I know teams have been hesitant to hand out big deals the last few years, but 
there's a difference when we're talking about Bryce Harper versus Mike Trout. With Bryce Harper, there's potential to be a Hall of Famer, and so that's why he wants he wants the three hundred plus million. And you can see why some teams would shy away from that. With Mike Trout, the the track record is already there. You you mm-hmm. know what you're going to get from him. You're going to get nine plus wins above replacement every year. He's going to play every day. He doesn't really slump. He doesn't really um, oscillate at all. He he's a very consistent player. So I'll disagree there, but I I definitely agree that uh, this was the right move for the Angels. Uh, thirty-six million year, thirty-six million a year is a lot, though. It, it's a ton, and it's going to be a ton for a long time. I mean, when we talked about the Bryce Harper contract, twenty-five million dollars a year is is a lot right now, but it won't be in a couple years. And that contract is going to open up a way for potential other all stars and other big name players to be able to sign lucrative deals that are enticing to them, and, and while also having enough payroll to field a team. With the Angels, who are mid market team. Signing a thirty, committing thirty five point five million dollars to Mike Trout every year for the next twelve years is a lot of money. Yeah, it's going to limit their flexibility in a big way. It's going to fall on them to develop talent within, which is something they've struggled with in Mike Trout's career. Yeah, they've they've obviously been riddled by injuries in the pitching rotation. They've had they've had competent guys, but they they've had problems being able to mature young players to be productive to be productive everyday major league baseball players and that's kind of why you've seen the angels and mike trout miss the playoffs in recent years because of their inability to to be able to develop young talent draft well and then bring guys up to be you know to be producers and back up mike trout in this lineup right i could not agree more so we're going to take a quick break and then when we come back we will talk about the angels and if they can make the playoffs now or if they're going to have to wait a little while. Okay, we're back. It's time to talk about the Angels. Uh, we mentioned moments ago Mike Trout signed the long-term extension. Now we want to figure out how far away are they from making the postseason again. So looking at the depth chart, their outfield looks competent. And in right. obviously the best, you know, you have the best player playing center field for you in baseball. You can expect for Justin Upton to hit anywhere between 30 and 40 home runs in a season. Right. But also strike out in an insane amount of time. So there is protection there, but there's also liabilities behind Trout there. And then we're definitely going to need to see some improvements from Cole Calhoun. Yeah, that that is one of the things I think. Angels fans have been waiting for for a while, and um, I guess to to Calhoun's credit, from 2014 to 2016, I mean, he was a good player. He was putting up roughly three and a half wins above replacement per season. He was a perfectly acceptable bat in the lineup. He's a good defender. Um, since then, though, in 2017, he put up 2.2 wins above replacement, and then last year fell off a cliff and he was worth zero which you hate to say you don't love to see that Nick and uh you may you know usually when you see early signs like that you're like maybe this guy can develop here unfortunately for the angels he's 31 the uh the time is now for Cole Calhoun 
there's there's not going to be a lot of maturing and growing left right. in, in his bat so, or or in his play. So the time is going to have to be now for Cole Calhoun to kind of step up and be a contributor on this team. Now, we also should mention um, – the out the the infield has improved with the addition of Zach Cozart. That was a, I think that was a really quality pickup for them. You've got a very dependable in, infielder with a good bat. Right, I agree. And then Andrelton Simmons last year seemed actually, you know, always expecting Gold Glove winning shortstop defense. Right, but he actually found his bat last year and it led him to an All Star appearance. Right, he had he put up five point five wins above replacement. Uh, definitely has become the player they were hoping for. Um, I'd say certainly he's good enough to be a sidekick for for Mike Trout. The problem is beyond that. I wanted to talk about another addition they made, somebody I'm very familiar with, Justin Bohr. He's going to be playing first base for them uh, primarily. Uh, Bohr is kind of – I would compare him to Adam Lind – Matt Adams, guys like that, they're kind of pretty much replacement level first baseman. They're not a negative, but you can't really depend on them to be a key cog in your offense. Now, there is one person on this team that we have yet to mention who can not only back up Mike Trout, but can be an absolute showstopper. Right. You may have heard of him. He's kind of a big deal, and he's a champion. I think we all know who I'm referring to, Mr. Tommy LaStella. <laughs> Tommy uh, LaStella. That is bench, not where I thought you were going with that. Bench bench player, clint, clutch pinch hitter extraordinaire for the Chicago Cubs and the key cog in their playoff success. Tommy LaStella has chosen – to join arms with Mike Trout and bring a championship to Anaheim. Right. Uh, with LaSella, <laughs> I will say um, you don't want Tommy to be a starter on your team. If you if no. he's starting a lot of games, that's bad news. But as a utility guy, I think that's actually a sneaky good pickup. I agree. I don't know if it if it's going to lead to the championship right away, but I think I think it's a good pickup nonetheless. Uh, one guy we have not mentioned yet, uh, and we can't go any longer without saying his name, Shohei Otani. Showtime. It's showtime. He's going to be hitting all season. He's going to forget about pitching for a little while here. Um, this guy is just electric. So I guess Shohei is going to be able to find a way into this lineup. Is that correct? <laughs> Um, I would say it's a, it's a likely case here. So, uh, just a couple numbers on Otani strikeout rates, a little, a little, um, ugly 28%. Um, he's a young, youngish player, uh, 24 years old. He's going to want to cut down on that, but 22 home runs in just 114 games. Uh, the power numbers are there. Um, WRC plus, of 152 approaching that uh, all-star status here. If he gets a full season at the plate, he could be the X factor for this team. Oh, he could be the absolute, he could be the bat that, that sits right behind Mike Trout and protects, you know, the best player in baseball. And, and, and going off of that, I mean, 
to be to have to stare down the gauntlet in the AL West of Mike Trout, Shohei Otani, and Justin Upton on a good year is one hell of a three, four, five. Oh, absolutely. I, I think um, this is something we were talking about a little bit earlier. I think the the bones of a playoff offense are here. They absolutely are. I mean, they if Andrews can if Andrews and Simmons can return what he did last year in terms of an offensive production. I mean, you have, you have a solid, you know, one through five, potentially you have Anderson Simmons. You can hope maybe that you can get some good years out of potentially Ian Kinsler. If they play him enough at second base to where he'll be able to, to help in that two spot, maybe a six spot. And then leading into Mike Trout show high and Justin Upton. I mean, you're talking about, I mean, you're talking about a, a legitimate playoff ready you know, majority of the lineup. Right. And another guy that we haven't mentioned yet, Jonathan Lucroy, he's 32. Uh, We're not too far removed from him being one of the best catchers in baseball. I mean, if you just look at his numbers here, his best year came in 2014 with the Brewers, 8.1 wins above replacement. Uh, MVP quality for rough or uh, near MVP quality from 2011 to 2014 uh, definitely tailed off in 2016 when he, when he uh, was traded mid season to the Rangers, put up a four and a half wins above replacement year, but these last two years have not looked great for him. No, I mean, you always wonder when, when power disappears. I mean, if you look at he's played 123 games and 126 games the last two years, Averaging five home runs per year, coming down no. from being a twenty home run guy. Yeah, I mean, the, obviously the the production isn't there. I mean, age is obviously becoming an issue. But I mean, we we saw we saw with Ryan Zimmerman. I mean, their their abilities to be able to produce in your old age and kind of find spurts to be able to contribute to a lineup. I mean, you don't have to play every day, and then you also can can fit into spots and also have leadership. And as a guy that's been there. Right. I, I have to agree there. I think, um, like you said, he's getting up there in age. But at age 32, I think he's a candidate for a bounce back season. And sort of building off that, um, wanted to talk a little bit about Matt Harvey. Yeah. Matt's an, Matt's an interesting candidate. I mean, he he went through what I call his his um you know professional rehab when he was dealt from the Mets to the Reds. Right. He he you know calmed down a little bit. He the the nightclub appearances were less and less. Um, I don't. <laughs> I listen. I'm not saying there's not things to do in Cincinnati and not a great town, but he's not you know in, in downtown Manhattan every night you know till three in the morning and then having to pitch a one o'clock. So. I think I think that was good for him. I think it's going to get him back on track. I just have to question, you know, what his health and what his production can be. I know he's getting older, and he's also had injury issues because, um, because the Mets manager ran his arm into the ground during yep. that that playoff run after he came back from uh, his uh, was it Tommy John surgery? Right. Yeah, he had yeah. the the really impressive uh, rookie campaign. 6.2 wins above replacement in 2013. He missed all of the 2014 season. And then when the Mets went on that World Series run, uh, he he put up similar production, but has never been anywhere close since that. 
Terry Terry Collins was the name that I was that I was searching for. Um, yeah, I I'm very happy that Terry Collins also isn't the manager of the Mets any longer because it is an absolute treat to be able to watch real real quick on a side note to be able to watch you know Matt Harvey when he was pitching and then you know I mean going off of having like having Thor. Jacob deGrom being yeah. able to pitch and pitch healthy and now not have a manager who is going to run their arms in the ground. I just want to say that's a good thing, but, oh, but, keeping, yes. but keeping with Matt Harvey, I'm, I'm, I hope that he will be able to have a resurging year and be able to kind of get back to being able to being able to compete and be a number one for this staff, having taken the Mets to a world series and, and pitching in a world series. I think he could be very valuable for some of these younger pitchers on this, on the staff. Yeah, I think, um, that that is the problem though we're looking at the headliners of this rotation matt harvey andrew heaney and tyler skaggs Mm -hmm. um if any one of those guys is your number four or five you're probably pretty happy uh if any one of those guys are your number one two or three which is the case you're kind of in a bad spot so one thing i wanted to ask you um, and we're going to talk about Dallas Keuchel a little bit later as well. Is this a landing spot for him? I know they just signed Trout to the long extension, but he could come in and make this pitching staff a lot better. This is absolutely a landing spot for 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 the Angels and for Dallas Keuchel. I think that having a pitcher, like I said, that had playoff success, he's won a World Series, and he's shown the ability to be – you know, I don't think he's necessarily a, an ace anymore, but I think he could absolutely fit into a two spot with Matt Harvey in this rotation. He would he would provide some some veteran you know stability to this lineup as a pitcher that can pitch in big games and and also lead the way, like I said, for Matt in uh, in kind of guiding these younger pitchers. The it it would give me more optimism for them to potentially be a wild card team in in the AL if they did land him because right now this pitching staff is not good enough to be able to, to be able to help this team make it, make it the playoffs. I mean, now having said all of that, I think that they might potentially have the best number five in all of baseball. And I think, and you know, who I'm talking about, could you say his name for me? Yes. Uh, his name is Trevor. My fastball destroyed the death star. Cahill. Are you talking about Trevor? My fastball's faster than Usain Bolt, Cahill. I'm talking about Trevor. My fastball solved world hunger, Cahill. Trevor, the curse breaker, Cahill. Trevor, the World Series MVP, Cahill. That's who I'm referring to. He's def. I, I have to agree. He definitely should have been the World Series MVP for each of the last <laughs> three or four years. But, uh, uh, I want to say in um, on a more serious note, Trevor Cahill is a good pickup for them. He's a quality pitcher. Um, obviously, you don't really want him to be the headliner of your rotation, but uh, he's going to provide some value. If you look at his season in Oakland last year, he started 20 games, put up 1.9 wins above replacement, uh, the ERA is not pretty at 3.76, but uh, the metrics like him a little bit under that. Um, he's not a huge strikeout guy, but the the value is there for him on this team. Let me just say two things about, about, about Trevor Cahill. Number one, 
Trevor being able to come up in big situations, whether he is a relief pitcher or a starter, when you get into the dog days of August and September, and him competing and him giving your te- a team a chance to win with a quality start is about as guaranteed as the sun coming up tomorrow. I'd have to agree with you there. Now, if Trevor walked down the street, would most people know who he was? Probably not. If if Trevor is Trevor Cahill, you know, gonna gonna have a couple outings where he gets shelled, no question. Sure. But I will be damned sitting here on this podcast saying that if Trevor Cahill is given an opportunity to play in a big game and pitch his team to into playoff contention or for a playoff win, that he isn't going to give a quality start. I've seen it. As have I. Um, yeah, the, 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 the thing I think we come back to here with the Angels is there are a lot of question marks that distance them between now and the playoffs, if that makes any sense. So my question oh, yeah. to you, uh, what year is the next year that the Angels make the playoffs? I'm sorry for any Angels fans that are about to hear my answer, but I mean, realistically, if, you know, they get some front office people and, and, you know, some scouts and player evaluators that can develop young talent, I think that it's reasonable that the Angels can acquire some good young talent and kind of get away from, you know, get off of the Albert Pujols deal on some of these aging contracts. I think it's reasonable to expect that they can probably be a wild card in the early 2020s. So like, you know, two, three, I'd say the gap is probably three years from now is probably what I would say. I think that's a, that's a fair analysis. I think if, if they want, they can make a push next year, try to be a wild card. I don't know how soon they could compete for the division, but I do think that's a fair point into the 2020s is the next time we'll see Mike Trout headlining a legitimate playoff team. Nick, is that good for baseball? That's horrible for baseball. Um, you know, no disrespect to any of the other players, but uh, there are way too many guys that have more than Mike Trout's success in the playoffs. And uh, the sooner we can get him into the postseason, I say the better. Nick, it doesn't make me feel good to watch. It didn't make me feel good to watch the prime years of Joey Votto's career wash away in Cincinnati without him making the playoffs regularly. I mean, making going, you know, making it a couple times in the early two thousand tens, you know, was good for what a divisional round and a couple of bats. I mean, we're we're now talking about the best player that you and I in our short lives have ever have really ever seen play in a baseball game, and he has you know, one hit in a playoff game and he played three games. Yeah, it's... It's not uh, good enough. I think disaster is the right word. Yeah, it's not good enough. And it's definitely not good for baseball. And it's and it's, and it's not good for the Angels. And it's certainly not good for Mike Trout. And this is why I understand the deal. I understand for financial, for his, his own personal finance, why he would sign this deal. I just... In his career, the Angels have not really shown him that they have the competency as a as an organization to be able to build a contender around him. And they've had they've had seven eight years to do this, right? I mean, we're I mean, the Nationals 
you know, for all the, for all the things that happened with Bryce Harper, I mean, they, they had a team around him when he came up and they continued to develop quality young players and keep, and keep a, a solid pitching staff around him and, and make them a, a, a likely division winner you know, every year that he was with the Nationals. And he got to play in baseball games. Now, unfortunately, because things didn't break their way, they weren't able to get out of the first round. But God knows they had the opportunities. And we saw Bryce Harper play baseball. But, I mean, right. Mike, Mike Trout, I mean, the Angels haven't shown the ability to do that. And that's why I'm concerned about this deal because he no longer, especially with the opt-out, I mean, in the, in the size of the contract, I mean, he doesn't have the flexibility to be dealt anywhere. It's he's He's put all of his chips into the Angels and – hoping that they can figure this out. Right. I mean, there's a, there's, there's a good thing, I think, when, you know, at, at the end of Mike Trout's career, he can say he played game one and the last game with the same team. Mm-hmm. I, I always think that's good when a star player is able to stick around with the team that brought them up. But uh, it's definitely worrisome when you look at the state of the Angels right now going into the future besides Trout and Otani really uh, is there enough talent there going forward to the back half of his career? And I don't know. We, I mean, we don't, we, when we, we haven't been shown very many signs of it. So time's going to, I mean, time's going to tell, I hope, I hope for all of baseball viewership and for Mike Trout that he, he's going to see many playoff experiences going in you know to the prime of his career before he starts to get older and tail off because I mean he's not going to play baseball forever right and and he need and it, this deal is fantastic for him and I'm sure it feels great for him and for the or for the for the Angels organization right now but they need to uh they, they need to figure this out right they need to figure this out soon because every year that Mike Trout doesn't make the playoffs is not good for anybody Could not agree more. So we're going to take one more break, and when we come back, we'll talk about Alex Bregman's extension with the Astros, what does Mookie Betts' next deal look like, and we'll close talking about Dallas Keuchel, Craig Kimbrell. Sign them already, somebody, please. Please. Okay, we are back, and we are talking Alex Bregman signs the extension with the Astros six years $100 $100 million, roughly $17 million per year. Jake, what's going on? I, I'm i still waiting. I've been checking Twitter a lot to, to see what Alex Bregman did in his personal life uh, and, and what he did wrong to, to, to have to sign this deal today. Right. I'm, I'm a little bit at loss. I, on the one hand, I get it, right? So uh, last year he was – near MVP status and he was paid less than a million dollars. So I I understand, you know, you can get a little starstruck when you see the zeros at the end of the check and uh, obviously gives him some financial security right away. He doesn't have to wait till arbitration or anything like that. But uh, for a player of his caliber, I think this is a severe underpay. What do the Astros have on him? What pictures <laughs> or statements of him saying things in the clubhouse? Like, I, I want to know because the, some type of blackmail is going on. Now, Alex, I'm not a big fan of yours, per se. I, you know, I could do a little less with the Instagram posts and, and, and the comments. But if you need help, you can reach out to us. 
stats on deck is is prepared to help you through this because somebody somebody <laughs> has something on you to make you sign a six year hundred million dollar deal when you're going to be well worth you know three times that in two years right and um i wanted to point out so ken rosenthal tweeted this out uh, bregman has two plus years of service the same level mike trout was at when he agreed to a six-year, $144.5 million deal with the Angels in 2014. Uh, even just right there. Now, obviously, after Mike Trout's first two seasons, they, he was outstanding. He was far and away the best player in the league in both of those years, in my opinion. Um, that's still $44.5 million more than Bregman signed for. And remember, this was five years ago. And right contract numbers have gone up yeah. uh, for Bregman I don't see how this makes sense for the Astros this is a dream this, this is a dream come true yeah exactly because as the Astros as being a, in terms of payroll they're a middle of the you know they're the middle of the role payroll type of team you know they're not the Dodgers they're not the they're not the Red Sox they're not the Cubs Nationals you know any of the any of these high paying over the luxury tax type teams right. and i think as we talked about on other podcasts you know this in order for the Houston Astros to stay relevant and for them to continue to be contenders not only in their division but as you know potential world series winners they were going to have to have several young players take you know you know uh, home hometown friendly deals, and it happened. This is the start of it. So whoever was talking to Alex Bregman in, in their front office did a hell of a job because six years for a hundred million dollars is the direct way of being able to re-sign George Springer, Carlos Correa. Well, that's that's one question I did want to bring up. So Altuve's extension has already been signed, and now Bregman's has been signed. Can they keep both Correa and Springer? I think now that they, I mean, now that they signed, now that they signed Bregman to to a reasonable deal, I I absolutely think that's the case. And who's to say that you know this logic won't be spread to to Carlos Correa when it you know when it's time to talk about his extensions? I mean, he can point around and look at Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman and say, hey, listen, you know they took less money so that we could keep guys here to stay relevant, you know, and I think you should do the same. And I think there'll be pressure on him to do the same. And this is actually really rare in this day and age of baseball because so many guys are looking for, you know, more years, more money, you know, record-breaking contracts like we've seen with Bryce Harper and Manny Machado. And to right. be able to, you know, have the ability to sign these, you know, you know, more reasonable contracts to keep a quality, you know, one of the best teams in baseball together for the next, you know, five, six, seven, eight years is, is huge. Oh, yeah, for sure. I think um, with the Astros, obviously, they have a World Series win together. Uh, They've been making the playoffs pretty consistently together. And I think I'll say George Springer will remain with the Astros. He's not quite on that all-star level the same way guys like Altuve, Bregman, and a healthy Carlos Correa are. So mm-hmm. I think I think George Springer will stick around, and as we've seen in the postseason, uh, that's always a good thing for the Astros. I don't know if they're going to be able to keep Correa. I think it's going to depend on how the next couple years of his career goes. 
Can he prove that he can stay healthy? Can he get back to that level we've seen from him? Because if you look at Carlos Correa, uh, obviously he's still young. Um, you know, he's 24 years old. It's not like he's he's a huge veteran at this point, but uh, he's put up uh, he put up back to back 5.2 wins above replacement seasons 2016-2017. He seemed to be the guy that made that team go in their World Series year. Obviously, there were injury problems last year and definitely a drop-off in production. But uh, if he gets back to that level we've seen from him, I think it's possible he may want to test the market because I think he could be he could be a guy that gets the Manny Machado deal. And honestly, for the Astros, I don't think that would be as much of a problem because, I mean, clearly they've shown the ability to be able to draft well and, and develop young talent. I, I think that they've done an outstanding job with that. I mean – you talk about Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman, George Springer, and you know, and Carlos Correa, Carlos Correa, guys of that nature that all came up through their system. I mean, that's elite, right? And you know, if you've shown the ability to do that, then you can allow for one or two guys to, when you know their time comes for free agency, go off and not really miss a beat. And I, I think that they've set themselves up nicely in the coming future to be able to do that. The, I mean, you're you're talking about right now one of the best possible teams in baseball, but I did have a question from for you looking at this team as a whole. Obviously, from positional wise, they're they're going to be an elite offense. I mean, they they added Michael Brantley, who we're hoping you know can still stay healthy. Um, George Springer, Josh Reddick in right field, you know, Gold Glove winning right fielder, can right. have a good bat at the end of the lineup, and then the infield, obviously, you know, Altuve, Correa, Bregman is insane. The question I have for you, though, and this is this is interesting, is you have Justin Verlander, who's a year older. Right. And then Garrett Cole, who, you know, is, is definitely a bona fide number two and has shown stretches of being an elite pitcher. But what happens when they have to play a best of seven series against the Indians, the the Red Sox or the Yankees when after Verlander and Cole, you're into Colin McHugh and Wade Miley? Yeah, that's that's definitely an issue for them. Um, Verlander, just to put it simply, at some point the production is going to stop. Um, obviously, last year was one of the best years of his career. In fact, it m- might be better than the year he put up when he won the MVP back in 2011. Mm-hmm. Um, but looking beyond that, if you look at – 2014 through 2017 more of a solid pitcher than an all-star number one ace kind of pitcher the question is what Justin Verlander are they going to get at age 36 and and I think this is an actual concern because there's no question that this offense will be able to carry this team for large stretches of the season but what I worry about is when the offense isn't there and, and Justin Verlander isn't pitching or, you know, or Garrett Cole isn't pitching, you're left with three guys who Wade Miley, I mean, I think, you know, his, his better years are behind him. And I think he had, you know, an outstanding kind of comeback year with the Brewers last year. But I mean, Brad Peacock and Colin McHugh are not really, you know, bona fide 30 game starters in a season. Right. And, Last time I checked also going into the playoffs, I mean, this is not 1923. You can't pitch Justin <laughs> Verlander every game. 
Yeah, and that's another thing. Um, so obviously, with Verlander, if if there are any health concerns, and he did have them in Detroit for a couple of years, to be fair, then you're looking at yeah, Garrett Cole projects to be one of the you know five, six, or seven. Well, let's say he projects to be a top ten level pitcher in baseball as does Verlander, but if Verlander misses any time, this pitching staff could really blow up in their face. Well, in you know, not I, I know this might not be your favorite example, but I mean, you know um, firsthand what going into a, a season with, you know, an, a, a position player level, you know, division winner, but not having, you know, really a four or five starter looks like with the Nationals and how they banked on – having Max Scherzer and Steven Strasburg, you know, at the front of their, at, at the front of their uh, starting rotation for the nationals and, and, and that falling apart. Right. Yeah. I, I definitely agree there. Um, it's going to be interesting because as we saw last year, the Astros had really no issues for most of the season outside of Correa's up and down performance and injuries. They chugged along to a hundred plus wins made it to the American League Championship Series. Like, uh, there weren't a lot of question marks with them. We knew who they were. They were a World Series-capable team that unfortunately ran into a better team. But um, I I don't know how much longer that can go on. I think Vroilander's a question mark. His time will come soon when he's not a frontline starter Yes, Garrett Cole is still there, which is a very uh, good backup plan to have. But beyond that, you don't really have anything. Right, and that that's kind of the warning sign for me. I mean, you've got the bones, really, of an elite baseball team. But, I mean, it really wouldn't be staggering to me if they go stretches in a season, you know, with potential injury issues and that starting rotation staff that, you know, they, they hit a low. I mean, there is, there is a window. I mean – for the Oakland athletics or potentially, you know, even the, even the angels to where they could, they could make this a real race in the West where it hasn't been in, in, in previous years. Right. So I, I, yeah, I mean, from face value, I mean, this team looks like it should be playing in the AL championship series, but I just, I think, I think if you, the deeper you look into this team, I mean, it, 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 there are definitely some depth concerns at that position. Yes. That is true. So um, just wrapping up thoughts about the Astros and Bregman, I guess my question would be the same one I asked about Mike Trout. Was this a good deal for the Astros? Oh, it's a terrific deal. I mean, you're, you're holding on to, you know, uh, uh, really it should be an MVP level player, you know, for the next, I mean, really for the next eight years. Yeah, I mean, going going forward into that, I mean, he's not even near his prime yet. Um, I mean, this is this is a steal. So uh, you've got him locked down, and he's being paid reasonably, and I think that that boosts morale. And it also shows guys like Carlos Correa and you know George Springer that they're willing to reward you for for really producing. And that that doesn't come by with every team. I mean, most teams are really happy to have this you know year service deal where you know you're on these rookie contracts and arbitration and, you know, you're basically playing for, you know, for, for pennies on the dollar. So now I want to talk about 
one of your favorite players, one of my favorite players, one of everybody's favorite players, Mookie Betts. Uh, we're just going to recap a little bit here about Mookie. He's coming off a World Series win. He's coming off an MVP season. Um, he's looking like he can contend with Mike Trout to be the best player in baseball. And the Red Sox need to extend him now. Uh Speaking as a diehard Red Sox fan, uh, that side of me, I I would wanted this done, you know, as soon as we, as soon as we, the last pitch was thrown last year and we won the World Series. Uh, I don't think Mookie Betts will be playing another game for another team. I think he'll be signing a big, big deal. Um, I think the immediate focus, though, for the Red Sox right now is extending Chris Sale and Xander Bogarts. Um, right. But right. Mookie Betts also needs to be a, a, a top priority. I mean, if his prime is going if this if his prime was any indication of like last season and how he played i he he needs to be locked down for a, a deal similar to trout and i'm not saying it's going to be 430 million dollars but it's going to be for a lot a lot of money and it's well, going and it needs to be a long time let me ask you this well, if if the red sox offered today 13 years 450 million which would put him in the thirty-four and a half million a year range, similar to Trout. Should he take that deal? I mean, I just trying to speak as biasly as possible. I absolutely think he should because I mean, not only is it an insane amount of money and it, it's for a deal. I mean, you're also doing it with the same team and a team that is competitive almost every year in baseball, not only in their division but to go to the playoffs. And I think that deal does more than say that they are invested in Mookie Betts and want him and need him for the long term. The only thing that I think about is that the Red Sox are willing and have been willing to go over the luxury cap right. and luxury tax and, and pay that money. I, I just think that Dave Dombrowski is, has shown obviously with the Miguel Cabrera deal that he is willing to pay for superstars and, and, and give them very lucrative deals. But I also think he knows that there are other players on this team that are due for money. Like I said, Chris sale and Xander Bogarts that, that also need to be taken care of as well. Right. I have to agree with you there. I'm looking at the rotographs projections for the top outfielders in baseball next year, as you would expect. Mike Trout, number one, Mookie Betts, number two. Um, I think the question mark for the Red Sox isn't Mookie Betts. I think I agree with you. He will play there for the rest of his career one way or another. The question is, when you look at Chris Sale, J.D. Martinez, Andrew Benintendi, Xander Bogarts, going forward, can they keep the whole band together? I absolutely think you can, and I think that's why they've staggered these deals the way that they have. I think, I think that they're going to be able to give contracts to, to the likes of Xander Bogarts and Chris Sale. Like Chris Sale's going to be paid a lot of money, probably a deal similar to Max Scherzer. And right. then I think Xander Bogarts is also going to be paid reasonably for what he is. And I think Xander Bogarts is also going. I don't think you're going to get any outrageous expectations from him. He's not really the type. He likes. He's played in Boston, won two championships. I think he's going to be paid as a top five infielder, you know, that, that should be making all-star teams in that I, I would say a reasonable deal for Xander looks somewhere in the likes of a, you know, a seven year, $200 million deal. Right. I think, I think that's totally fair. I think 
the advantage for the Red Sox here compared to the Angels is that the Red Sox, as you mentioned, can afford to have guys on deals like this. With the Angels, Trout's their deal. Everyone else is going to make significantly less. With the Red Sox, you can pay Betts a lot of money. You can pay Chris Sale a lot of money. You can pay J.D. Martinez a lot of money and still expect to be able to fill out the team with good players. Um, I think there's no question Mookie Betts will be extended sometime in the next year at most, I would say. I think the only question is, what are they waiting for? Uh, I think they're waiting for Chris Sale and Xander Bogarts. I think I think that's I, I think they've prioritized. It's not that Mookie Betts isn't the best player and he's not the, a top priority. It's just that they still have time with him before he gets. You know, they still have two seasons before Mookie Betts reaches free agency with with Xander, who is a key piece of this team and and you know has anchored the shortstop position for a team that is you know, for the better part of two decades, meandered with, you know, shortstops coming in and out to anchor the defense in the infield. Right. They've, they've solidified that with Xander. And then also, also having, you know, really the best left-handed pitcher in baseball. Um, I, I, those are the priorities of right now. Long-term, the priority, obviously, it, first and foremost, is Mookie Betts. And then the other thing you have to think about, too, is, I mean, Andrew Benatendi is surging upwards and is going to be a heavily sought-after player. And I would be very thankful and I would I would think it would be a great idea to possibly put Andrew Benatendi on a similar deal to Alex Bregman and extend him, you know, throughout the duration of really his rookie contract but for what he should be being paid. And I think that'll that'll prove goodwill long term in in eventually extending him to a longer deal as well. Right. I think that's a fair point. So I just want to say anytime you have a top two pitcher and a top two hitter, which the Red Sox do in bets and sale. I think you find a way to keep them and building off of that. The other, the other talented guys they have, you figure out how to keep the band together because you're coming off a world series win this year with so many young players. Why not try to do it a few more times? Right. And I, and I think all of those guys have the same goal and the same mentality in mind. I mean, they, they've won together. I think they truly enjoy playing with each other. And I think it's really not easy to deal with the media and to deal with the hype and the expectations of playing in Boston. And, and as this young team has been able to do this, uh, which kind of relates a little bit similar to their 2017 when they won a World Series with uh, rookies in Jacoby Ellsbury and Dustin Pedroia. And those guys, stay, Dustin Pedroia stayed and you know signed a 10-year deal. You have guys that – you know, proved important young and showed the ability to win at a young age. And they were rewarded with longer contracts and, you know, and rewarded in Boston. And I think not only does do the Red Sox recognize that and appreciate that, but I think the players do as well. And I, I think Dave Dombrowski and that front office are going to find a way to come up with a plan to not only stagger the money that they hand out, but be able to keep everybody together. So I, I'm not very worried about it, but I obviously to, to put all, conversations and question to bet I would like this to be done sooner rather than later right that's a fair point so we'll keep an eye on Mookie Betts and other notable free agents coming in the next few years seems like the extension is the move right now it's in um some guys haven't signed yet though and the the first guy I want to talk about is the best starting pitcher on the market right now 
Dallas Keuchel. Um, why is he still a free agent? I don't know if it's he hasn't him and his agent haven't found the right deal yet for the amount of money that they want if their expectations are too lofty or if you know baseball's playing you know playing hard to get you know the different teams are playing hard to get with him but I it, it is puzzling how I mean we're a week and a half away from the season starting and a starting pitcher who could be an easily a number two on a lot of teams in, in playoff contention and right. to help really any of the 30 teams of baseball. I, I, I don't really quite understand how he hasn't signed yet. And, it, and it's a problem that he hasn't signed yet. Right. And uh, obviously the production has tailed off. He had his one Cy Young season, 2015. He's a 20-game winner, ERA under two and a half, 6.1 mm-hmm. wins above replacement. Uh, definitely passes the eye test whenever you watch him. Uh, he's tailed off since then. He's more of a three, three and a half win player these last few years, but I don't think there's any question he helps pretty much any rotation in baseball, including the team he has been on his entire career, the Houston Astros, who we talked about earlier on this podcast. Right. Um, they they certainly could use him. I thought. I mean, really, the longer this went on, I I've, I found it surprising that he hasn't re-signed with them. I mean, obviously, his home's there. He's played his whole career there. He knows everybody. I don't. I I, I find it puzzling how he hasn't returned. But having said that, I mean, we kind of talked about the potential of him also joining the Angels, who also have pitching rotation depth where he would fit in nicely. I guess really all signs point to it. It's got to be a figures issue or or the amount of years because. He, he obviously, like we said, can really help any starting rotation in baseball. And the fact that he hasn't signed and the starting season's getting ready to start is, is, is puzzling. I mean, the, one of the other bigger issues is that even after he signs with whatever team he signs with, he's going to have to go through a personal spring training. Right. Uh, that, that's an issue because if he signs with a team that has their eyes on the playoffs, you, you don't really want to wait a few weeks for him to get up to speed. Right. You can't, you can't just immediately force him into the rotation because either he's going to get shelled and, you know, and go through his own spring training and games that actually count, or he's going to get hurt. And he's going to have to play through simulation games, pitch minor league games and basically build up, you know, like, like we, like you may have mentioned earlier, like an injury basically where, Whereas, you know, there are teams that they're going to need every win that they can get to potentially make a wild card. And they're going to be waiting on potentially their two or two or three in the starting rotation going basically through a rehab. Right. And that's an issue. I think the Astros could withstand that. But if you're talking about a fringe playoff team, you can lose your playoff spot in April, as we've seen in years past. And you don't want to you don't want to have to rely on. Dallas Keuchel getting up to speed quickly for that to happen. Now I can see if you're looking at some of the deals signed recently for pitchers, um, the U Darvish deal in Chicago was not a success in year one. Mm -hmm. Uh, Zach Greinke has had trouble producing for the Diamondbacks. John Lester started strong in Chicago and has tailed off since then. Johnny Cueto in San Francisco, definitely not on the level they were hoping for. So I would say, obviously, Dallas Keuchel's not on the level 
of guys like Chris Sale, Max Scherzer, David Price, who was coming off, you know, I think three straight years of a top two Cy Young finish when he signed his deal. So I think he's definitely a level below guys like that. But uh, when you're looking at some of the, some of the recent contracts, teams have been hesitant to hand out deals more than five years. And I, I think Keuchel should be happy if he can get five years. I don't know if that's even on the table right now because he's 31. He just turned 31 a couple months ago. I don't know if anyone's really looking to give him even four years, to be honest with you. I feel like there has to be a four-year deal out there for, you know, around $80 million. Like, I feel like that has to be. I think that's a perfect deal for both sides. Keiko gets a little bit of long-term security. He gets adequately compensated. And it's not like uh, even some of the, you know, the middle markets or smaller markets can afford $80 million for a pitcher of his caliber. Right. And uh, four years, $80 million sounds reasonable. It, it works, like you said, long-term. I mean, for the, for the long-term of his career and tailing off as he has, you know, it gives him financial security, but it also isn't a, a super long-term investment for teams to make. And, and this could actually I – mean, it could end up being a really good deal because, I mean, you've seen with aging pitchers like Rick Porcello for the Red Sox where, you know, he was he's, he's getting older. But if you sign him to that four- or five-year deal with reasonable amounts of money where right. they're usually making between 15 and $20 million a year, if they don't produce, it, it hurts, but it doesn't kill you. And if they do produce and everything goes, and everything goes great, it looks like a genius investment. And and for Dallas Keuchel, I think it's a reasonable risk to take. Yeah, I have to agree with you there. I don't know how much longer we're going to have to wait on um, – sorry, on March 5th, Buster only reported Keuchel is not close to signing with anybody. That was about two weeks ago. We haven't heard much since then. We've outlined in previous episodes where we think he should end up. My question to you is, should the Astros swoop in and give him the deal he wants right now, or should they wait him out and try to get a bargain? I don't think the – like you kind of mentioned earlier, I don't, I don't think that, that Houston's desperate, and I don't think that they need to – I don't think that they need to just bend on – you know, bend the knee to this type of to, – to a, a crazy, you know, six-year, hundred-something million-dollar deal to Dallas Keiko. I don't – they're not in that position. I, I – I think really the the longer they waited, I think there's more power to you know to the organizations in baseball because really you can always get at the deadline you can always get bolstering help in your rotation if you're a contender you know but I, Dallas Keuchel is going to have to make a decision soon and I hope it's somewhat reasonable because I think the longer he waits, the less power he's going to have in this bidding process. I, because eventually he's going to have to sign somewhere. I mean, you, you can't sit out a 162-game season at his age. I could not agree with you more. Speaking of sitting out, there were rumors that Craig Kimbrell was threatening to sit out this season. Uh, his agent denied those rumors back in February, saying he looks forward to signing a new contract in the near future. For Craig Kimbrell, um, he has been linked – recently to teams like the Phillies, the Nationals, the Braves, the incumbent Red Sox. And just earlier this evening, Ken Rosenthal reported that 
Kimbrell has been in talks with the Brewers. Where does he go? Where do you think he, he ends up? I am going to pull the opposite of a Ben Sim or of Bill Simmons, and I am going to not choose my personal team. I think I think Craig is going to go to the National League. I think the Brewers could be a really good fit. I mean, that'll bolster obviously one of the best bullpens in baseball. I think the Nationals are also a candidate. I think they have the money to spend for a closer position. I know they have Sean Doolittle, but I think that they'd be able to work out a situation where having you know, Craig Kimbrell and the possible Sean Doolittle tandeming in eight, nine inning matchup is would go a long way in not only securing, you know, the health of a starting rotation, but also could prove very successful late innings in, in playoff baseball and, and deep into September. Um, I'd say of the teams that can afford it and pay for it for the deal that he would want and probably would be willing to overspend a little bit to have a bona fide closer and have Craig be satisfied with the money he gets. I would probably say Milwaukee's a pretty good option right now because they could spend on him. I, th- I think the nationals also could do it. Right. I-, I do agree with you there. I think as far as the nationals go, Sean Doolittle uh, recently has mentioned he'd be willing to take a back seat if the nationals signed Craig Kimbrell, but I really like the fit with the brewers. I think, When you have a pitcher like Josh Hader who broke out onto the scene last year as a non-closer, I think it's a perfect fit. You put Kimbrell in that spot and still use Hader as your fireman, for lack of a better term. However, I have thought from the beginning of this process that he's going to end up re-signing with the Red Sox. I think he would make that bullpen much better. He's coming off a World Series win with that team. Why not try to win another another World Series? I, I, I absolutely think he can come back. His family's here. He obviously accomplished the, the dream that he's been searching for of, of winning a World Series. I, I think he fits very well, and I think that him having him coming back to be the closer for this dominant team would further reinforce and make that bullpen less of a question mark. I just don't think that the Red Sox – I know the Red Sox have said – from numerous reports that they're not willing to go into a long-term big deal with, with a bullpen guy at this present moment. And I, I think that kind of goes back to what we were talking about with signing Chris Sale and Xander Bogarts and getting ready to extend Mookie Betts and the other players into the coming years, J.D. Martinez. And I, I think the Red Sox aren't quite in a position or near desperate to have to do that. And I think that's one of the reasons that derails – him coming back to the Red Sox. Having said that, if Craig Kimbrell really values winning and wants to sign a reasonable deal, I think he absolutely could come play, could come back to the Red Sox. I just, I don't know how likely that is. I think, I think Craig got his world series and I think he's looking for a big, big deal. Right. And um, we've seen um, most notably, I think Kenley Jansen's deal to stay with the Dodgers. I wouldn't say it backfired, but that's a lot of money to give to a relief pitcher when we see year to year, it's very difficult for relief pitchers to produce. But Craig is one of those guys that has produced great numbers over the course of his career. He's only 30 years old. If you sign him, he's more than likely going to be one of the best closers in whatever league he's in. I think the time 
is now to sign him because we are just about eight days out from opening day. He's not going to take a lot of time to get ramped up to speed the way a starting pitcher would. Mm -hmm. That being said, I think Craig has more leverage here because since he's able to jump right in, he really could sit out for a while if he wants to. I mean, if he wants to wait until July to sign with somebody, it's not ideal, but he would help bolster a playoff team's bullpen and probably be able to get more money than he could today. That being said, I think we just got to get this guy signed and move on. I agree. I, I think it needs, he needs to be put out. He needs to absolutely be in a team. And I, I think it's, it it's not good when position, I mean, when, you know, starting pitchers or really any, any players, bullpen guys, anybody is waiting until, the last week of the off season or the beginning of a season going into a season to sign. And I mean, this, this stuff should be handled before January or during January at the latest, and then they should be ready to come into camp. And it's, it's, we're in a strange spot here because we've seen um, obviously with trout Bregman uh, recently, Nolan Arenado, we're seeing some superstar players sign extensions and not even worry about free agency. But we're mm-hmm. also in that in that situation where last year, J.D. Martinez, this year, Manny Machado and Bryce Harper, we're seeing guys go deep into the offseason before signing. So I think it's a concern for baseball. You do not want your top players waiting so long to sign somewhere. But I wonder if these guys who are signing the extensions right now, that might be a positive sign looking towards the future that teams aren't going to wait so long to sign people. But that being said, we still got extremely talented guys left in free agency that could end up going into the season without a team. So we'll have to see what happens there. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, we're going to, we're going to find out, but I, I think, I think it was well put. I, it, it's, it's concerning to see that, you know, guys that are, you know, not really at the end of their career, not, you know, baseball's kind of past them guys with good years left and some premier talent wait this long to have to sign deals. Right. I mean, if you just look at comparing this to the NBA, when free agency hits on July 1st in the NBA, the superstar players are signed on July 1st, usually like LeBron James, for example, last summer, I think he waited an extra day, but um, talking about, comparing that to like Bryce Harper and Manny Machado not signing until the end of February, kind of ridiculous. Right. So it'll be interesting to see what the next couple of free agencies hold. I hope this is not a reoccurring theme in the, in the coming years, but I think with the collective bargaining agreement coming up in, I think 2021, I mean, there's going to have to be some serious discussions between now and then between the players association and the owners about, you know, coming to fair agreements and making sure everybody is satisfied and, you know, one side not taking advantage of the other and coming to, you know, some sort of equilibrium because, right. I mean, this, this needs to, this needs to be nipped in the bud. We can't have marquee free agents signing in March. Yeah. And the last thing we need is a lockout. I don't even want to hear that word. <laughs> so uh, before we wrap this up, I got to ask you, March Madness technically started today. 
who's yep. winning the championship. Which team has Zion? That's my pick as well, the Blue Devils. Okay, and it's not – listen, <laughs> I I think a fully healthy Duke team has the has the best chance. If I, if I was putting money on it, I would absolutely say uh, my money would be Zion. Um, I mean, I think I, – am I correct in saying when Zion's healthy and plays the whole, the whole game, they've lost two games? Is that right? They have. They've, they've lost two games, and one of those games – was against Syracuse where two of their other top players, Trey Jones and Cam Reddish, uh, were not in the game. So, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting to see. I think Duke at full strength is the best team in the country. But really this year, I think that separates this year from other years is the top eight teams in, in college basketball, the Michigan States, Kentucky, UNC, Virginia, Michigan, I mean, Gonzaga, those are the teams – that they really have the best shot, at, shot, and they're differentiated from the rest. It's kind of a chalkier in that respect, but I mean, it's it's madness. They, anything can happen. I mean, last year UMBC, you know, wrecked everybody's brackets in Virginia, so it that's why they play the games, right? Right, that's right. So there's no chance for VCU, I guess. Um, I think VCU is going to have their hands full with uh, with Taco Fall, all seven foot six of him, and UCF uh, in, on Thursday. But I mean, like I said. Or I think they're playing Friday. But either way, it, it is certainly possible. Uh, I mean, VCU upset Duke in 2007. I long for the glory days of 2011 when I was 15 and VCU made it to the Final Four. I don't know if it's ever going to happen again. But uh, we'll, we'll keep an eye on the tournament. So uh, any closing thoughts about Mike Trout, Alex Bregman, Mookie Betts, anything we talked about here? Not one. I do have a closing thought and that Anthony Rendon – who, of course, we didn't mention until the end of this podcast. I think we always wait till the end of the podcast to talk about him. Needs to be re-signed yesterday, Nick. What is yeah. going on? The, I think, well, I think the good thing here is the, these last few deals, if you look at Machado, Harper, Arenado, Trout, and Bregman, we kind of have a, a litmus test of what guys are worth. And I think... The only question is, uh, the question is not if, it's when, because I think Rendon will sign an extension at some point in the near future and stay with the Nationals for the long term. Right. I hope so, and it needs to have been done yesterday. So uh, thank you guys for listening to Stats on Deck. I'm Nick Laporte, and I was joined by Jake Adams. Uh, Jake? Boom. Yost ball.